Dear Heavenly Father, we love You and we thank You for this time of Sabbath today, this time of rest. We're so thankful, Father, that we do not have to beat our bodies constantly, but that You give us, privilege us with times of rest on Your calendar. And Father, we need them, not just spiritually, but we need them physically. And so we're thankful for that today. Yahweh, Father, we're thankful for who you are, and we adore you, we lift you up, not that you need us to, but you command us to, and so we do it, and your thoughts are so greater than ours, and your ways so greater as well, and we acknowledge that today, Father Yahweh. Father Yahweh, we pray, most of all, most importantly, Father, for salvation, Father, that our soul might be saved, Father Yahweh. I pray right now, Father, that you would open up the hearts and the minds of your people today to receive your word, not to receive what Brother Matthew has to say, but to receive what the Scriptures say. I pray that they would forget anything that I interject of my own will or accord, and I pray that they wouldn't take my word for anything, but that rather, Father Yahweh, they would learn to rely on the Scriptures and be a good Berean, examining daily, everything that they hear, to make sure that it is so by the Word, by the Bible. Father Yahweh, I pray that that you would do that because I know that without your miraculous power, without your help, and it's just empty words that I'll speak today, I need you, Father Yahweh, to help me. Help me to remember these notes, Father Yahweh. And uh, Father, I thank you, Father, for your healing power and for your salvation. And Father, we thank you also for your Son our Savior, kinsman, Redeemer, Messiah, Lord, our friend, our elder brother, and our coming King, the King of your kingdom, Yahweh. We thank you for Him. We pray these things to you, Holy Father, through your Son, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. All right, praise Yahweh. Hopefully you guys can remember back two weeks ago to where I talked about the stars. I taught a message called, Look at the Stars. And I had a lot of people say that they enjoyed that message, and I'm, I'm thankful that you did. And I want to go on to another aspect, another sphere of that sermon today. I'm going to call it the message in the sky. The first text we're going to go to is Romans 10:17 through 18. This is a common text. You've probably heard it many times. I don't know that you've ever heard it in this way. It's right there in the Bible. I saw this this week. Romans 10:17 through 18 says this. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about the Messiah. Now, I know that verse by heart in the King James Version. It says this, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Alright? This is just a different translation. It means the same thing. We talk about a message of faith. It comes from what is heard. But it goes on to say, But I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Then he says this, Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. If you see on the screen that part that's in bold, that last sentence of this text, the part that's underlined, their voice, where it starts with their voice, that's actually a quotation from the Old Testament. A lot of Bibles, New American Standard, um, Holman Christian Standard, I think the English Standard Version, whenever... There's a New Testament passage that quotes something in the Old Testament. They'll put it in bold. And I think the New American Standard puts it in all capital letters. And that doesn't mean that they were trying to scream at you. 
when they put it in caps. You know, I guess in the age of technology that we live now, when we get a message in caps, we think, man, you know, what's their problem? They're hollering at us. But that's not what the New American Standard Bible translators were doing. They were just doing that to designate this is a passage from a New Testament author where he's quoting something in the Old Testament. And that's what's taking place here in Romans 10.18. In other words, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word. The Word preached. The message about God. The message about Christ. Did they not hear? Well, certainly they did hear. Because it's written in the Old Testament. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. But that's not a quotation about a preacher preaching. That's not a quotation about a prophet giving a prophecy. That's a quotation from a passage that I talked about in the last sermon in Psalm chapter 19. Notice again, Romans 10.18, the end says, Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. Psalm 19.4, Their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In context, Psalm 19, 1-4, this is from the Septuagint text of the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament. It says this, The heavens, the heavens, the sky, declare the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims the work of His hands. Day to day utters speech, and night to night proclaims knowledge. This is a reference to the heavenly bodies. They speak to us. They give us knowledge every day. And every night, the sun as it rises and sets, it speaks to us about when a day begins and ends. The moon gives us knowledge. It lets us know where we're at in a particular month on Yahweh's timetable. And then what I wanted to point out in the last sermon was about the stars. The stars kind of get put to the side. But the stars actually proclaim a message. Believe it or not, the stars actually show forth the gospel message. In the, in the heavens. This goes on to say, there are no speeches or words in which their voices are not heard. And that's a reference once again to, they speak all languages. People, it doesn't matter what language you speak, you look up into the heavens and you can see the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then notice at the end, their voice or their message is gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. When Apostle Paul was writing to the Roman church in Romans 10, 17-18, and he said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, he quoted Psalm 19, a part of Psalm 19, 1-6, about the heavens. I know that Psalm 19, verse 7, begins by saying the law of Yahweh is perfect, converting the soul. But that's the written revelation of God. But Psalm 19, 1-6, scholars have been baffled to some extent about how does Psalm 19, 1-6 have anything to do with Psalm 19, 7 through, I think it's like 12 or 13 at the end of the chapter. How do they correlate? How do they parallel? This is how. One is the written revelation in the law that we can handle. The other one is the revelation. It speaks the same thing, but it's the revelation in the heavens. Specifically, as I'm going to begin to show you tonight, it's the revelation in the various star formations in the sky known as the constellations. As I mentioned in the last message as well, because it's been two weeks ago, you'll probably hear me say, as I mentioned in the last message, about 10 or 15 times. I don't mean to say that, but it's habit. As I mentioned in the last message, um, just because the heathen peoples of the world 
have taken the constellations and formulated them into things like horoscopes and maybe even worship of certain stars and things doesn't mean that the original pure creation of the stars is a bad thing. Just the same way with the sun and the moon. There's people that actually worship the moon and do crazy things on the full moon and they worship the sun, but that doesn't mean that the sun and the moon are bad heathen objects. Those objects are originally created by Yahweh. They have a purpose for the Heavenly Father and His people. And it doesn't matter what the heathen people do to corrupt them. We go back to the purity of how Yahweh created them. And I'll show that in the constellations in this message. Isaiah 40, verse 26 says this. Yahweh is speaking through the prophet. Who will you compare me to or who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. And I think what he's talking about is a literal looking up. Notice he says, who are you going to compare me to? Who will you say is equal to me? And then I'm going to prove to you that you can't compare me to anybody. And I'm going to prove to you that there's nobody that's equal with me. And this is how I'm going to do it, Yahweh says. Look up and see. And if you haven't done that lately, you need to do that. When nighttime comes, you look up and you see who all that, all that in, the, in, the, in the heavens. Brother Tim was talking about the, the different uh, uh, creations of, of man. You know, like whether it be a, a very nice watch or, or some kind of uh, locomotive or something like that. I can't remember what he was talking about. But we know that when we see those creations, we think about the, the wonderful, uh, uh, brilliant mind that was behind that, that formulated that. And you think, man, there was somebody very intelligent that put this together. When you look into the heavens, you begin to see there's somebody very, very intelligent that set all these things in place. And the more that you understand the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars, you really begin to see it. And we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. He says this, He brings out the starry host by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of His great power and strength, not one of them is missing. So once again, He mentions the starry host. That's the stars. He says He knows their number. He calls all of them by name. That parallels with Psalm 147, verse 4, if you're taking notes. That's a passage we talked about last week where he says that he knows the very number of the stars and that he also calls all of them by name. So, both Isaiah 40 verse 26 and Psalm 147 verse 4 teach us that the Creator both numbered and named the stars of heaven. Has He revealed to us any of these names? I believe that He has. I believe He has revealed to us some of these names. Not all of them, but some of them. Job 9, 7-9. The book of Job, although it is close like to the book of Psalms, which is in the middle of our Bible that we buy at the Christian bookstore or wherever we buy it from, the book of Job actually is believed by many in the scholarly community to be the oldest book in the Bible. Or at least dating back to the time that the book of Genesis was carried out. So in other words, Job would have lived in the patriarchal age with people like Abraham and Noah, uh, people like uh, uh, Isaac and, and Jacob. He would have lived at that time. Okay? And in Job 9, 7 through 9, it says this, and I believe this is Job speaking. It says, He, speaking of Yahweh, commands the sun not to shine and seals off the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He makes the stars 
the bear, Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the southern sky. Now, lest we be adverse to anything that has to do with constellations, we need to make sure that we know that this text in Job mentions them. Okay? We don't need to be adverse to them because the Bible mentions them. John MacArthur's commentary on this text says this, Bear Orion Pleiades, three stellar constellations, reference Job 38, 31 through 32. We'll go there in a second. Then he says, the chambers of the south, and that's how this Bible translates, and the constellations of the southern sky. The New King James Version reads, the chambers of the south. That's the MacArthur Study Bible of the New King James Version. But he says this about the chambers of the south. These were other constellations in the southern hemisphere unseen by those who could see and name the three in the northern skies. So not only does Job here mention the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, all of which are constellations in the sky. Job also says, and the constellations of the southern sky or the southern chamber or hemisphere. Okay? Job 38, verse 31 through 33. This is Yahweh speaking to Job. Now, this is after. Job 38 is one of my favorite texts in the Bible, along with chapter 39. And this is after Job kind of gets a little upset with Yahweh and says a few things that he shouldn't have said to Yahweh. And then Yahweh begins to say, Look, who do you think you are? You know, you don't talk to me like that. Were you, were you with me when I created all, this, all these things? And down in verse 31, Yahweh says to Job, He says, Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and lead the bear and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on the earth? I want you to notice after He mentions these three star constellations and also the constellations... He groups, groups them together and talks about in their season. He then says something about the laws of heaven and its authority. See, laws and authority is parallel there. Remember I said there's a message in the written revelation of Scripture, but there's the same message that exists in the sky, in the heavens. This word constellations here in this text is the Hebrew word Maseroth. Jesenius is... Hebrew Chaldee lexicon defines this word as the signs of the zodiac. The Geneva Bible gives a footnote at this particular verse. The Geneva Bible was the Bible that was used by the pilgrims. 1599 Geneva Bible. It existed prior to the King James Version, before it even the King James Version had even been translated under the authority of King James of England. The Geneva footnote says, quote, certain stars so-called, some think they were the twelve signs, end of quote. And the twelve signs is a reference to the zodiac. Now, zodiac sounds kind of like a scary word, you know, when we think of it. We think, well, that's not a word Brother Matthew should be using in church. That doesn't sound very good. But the word zodiac comes or stems from uh, an ancient Arabic word, most likely. There's a dispute about where it actually comes from. But most likely an ancient Arabic word, uh, that means the way or the path. That's all it means. And it actually refers, I'll get more into this on the new moon service, but it refers to the path of the sun through the sky in an entire year as the sun makes its way. Some people call it the apparent path of the sun. 
people that believe the sun is the center of the universe, the heliocentric model. They believe that it's just an apparent path of the sun, and there's geocentrists that believe the sun actually moves around the fixed earth. Either way, it's the path of the sun through the sky as it goes through the different constellations in 12 months or in one year. That's what the word zodiac actually refers to. Some people believe it, it, it is associated in its etymology with the word zoo or zoology because a lot of the constellations in the sky are named after certain animals. We just mentioned one, the bear and her cubs. So, let's go over a few of these that is mentioned in the Bible. The first one here is the Pleiades. I've got a picture of it up on the screen. The Hebrew word is schema, translated Pleiades in our Bible, stemming from the Greek Septuagint. Strong's Exhaustive Concordance defines this word as cluster of stars, and Jesenius' Hebrew Chaldee lexicon defines it as, quote, a heap or cluster, specially of stars, hence the Pleiades, or the seven stars, consisting of seven larger stars and other lesser ones closely grouped, end of quote. And the quote from Jesenius is, is a lot longer than that, but I couldn't fit it all on the screen, so I combined it down. You can look that up yourself. Basically, what this is, is seven very, very bright stars in the sky. And these stars are actually located in the constellation of what's called Taurus. The word Taurus is simply a Latin word that means bull, the bull. If you see up there in the neck of Taurus, right there, that's the Pleiades. That's seven stars located in that constellation. And you might think, well, where in the world did they get a bull formation out of those stars. Well, we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But this is what Yahweh was talking about in Job 38. Notice again, he goes back and he says, can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades? And what that's referring to is when you look at those seven stars in cluster, you can actually, uh, they're grouped. Or they, you might consider them to be chained together or bound together. And Yahweh is asking Job, can you, Job, fasten the chains or bind together the Pleiades like I did? Can you make that cluster of stars? That's what Yahweh is telling Job. All right? Now, let's go to the next one here. This next one is Orion. This is the star formation that I've got up on the screen right now. The Hebrew word here is Kassil. Strong's Concordance defines it as any notable constellation. But then he says, specifically, Orion, as if a burly one. And Strong's uses this definition of burly one not to mean obese or overweight or something like that, but strong. Uh, some ancient civilizations have referred to this constellation as the glorious hunter. Jesenius defines this Hebrew word kassil as this. According to many of the ancient translators, Orion, which the Orientals call the giant. The giant. And see, out of this star formation... All ancient civilizations, not just the Hebrews, but the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the people of China, the ancient Sumerians, all of them had this depiction in their mind when they looked at that star formation. A depiction of a giant, mighty hunter, a burly one, as Strong's defines it as. <clears throat> if we go back to Job 38, I won't go back through the slides, but Yahweh asks Job, not just can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades, but he says, or loosen the belt of Orion. It's interesting that Yahweh mentions a belt there. And what he's saying is, listen, can you take the belt off of the mighty giant 
star formation that I put in the sky. Yahweh is acknowledging here in the book of Job that particular constellation. Next we have something that in Job is called the bear. Uh, in Job 38 he says, uh, Can you lead the bear and her cubs? Well, this constellation is in scientific terms called Ursa Major. Um, if you look here at the circle point I have, you notice something there. What that actually is is what people call the Big Dipper. And that's the back of this constellation, the back of the bear. The Hebrew word is Ayish. Strong's defines it as the constellation of the great bear. Jesenius defines it as the constellation of the great bear. But he not only says, can you lead the bear, but he says, can you lead the bear and her cubs? And scholars believe that's probably a reference to some stars that are behind this great bear. Possibly what scientists call Ursa Minor, or the little bear. And when you look at the stars in the little bear, you know what we see? We see the Little Dipper. We saw the Big Dipper in the Giant Bear, and we see the Little Dipper here in Ursa Minor. Yahweh is talking to Job about these constellations in Job 38 as well as back in Job chapter 9 where Job speaks of them. Not only do we have reference to these constellations in Job, but look at Amos 5 verse 8. The prophet Amos, Yahweh speaking through the prophet Amos, says this, the one who made the Pleiades and Orion. Once again, the seven stars and that giant burly hunter. Who turns darkness into dawn and darkens day into night. Who summons the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the earth. Yahweh is his name. See, he's talking about here the mighty acts that he does. Okay? And one of them is he made the Pleiades. He made that cluster of seven stars. He made the constellation that... Civilizations have termed the mighty one, the glorious hunter, the burly one, Orion. There's also a mention of another constellation in Acts 28, verse 11, where the Bible says, After three months we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the twin brothers as its figurehead. This is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible here. And this is a reference to uh, Paul's journey. This is Luke writing this. He wrote the book of Acts. In the King James Version, this says this, whose sign, at the end, it says, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. The American Standard Version says, whose sign was the twin brothers. John Gill's commentary on this text says this, these are placed among the constellations in the Zodiac and go by the name of Gemini or the twins. Adam Clark's commentary says this, these were two fabulous semi-deities reported to be the sons of Jupiter and Leda who were afterwards translated to the heavens. Of course, that's a heathen myth. Remember how I said that heathens take the stars and they do things with them as well and use them in their religion and their worship? doesn't make them wrong. But this is just what Adam Clark is relating to us. It says, "...and made the constellation called Gemini or the twins. This constellation was deemed propitious to mariners, people that traversed the sea. And as it was customary to have the images of their gods both on the head and stern of their ships, we may suppose that this Alexandrian ship had these on either her prow or stern and that these gave name to the ship. So this is another mention in the New Testament of a particular constellation that was used as a figurehead on this Alexandrian ship. So, let's recap here. Number one, stars and even particular constellations are mentioned in the Bible. They are. 
I've used this illustration so many times, but I, I can't think of a better one, so I'll just keep using it until I think of a better one. But it's just like with the rainbow. You know, the rainbow today is the sign of homosexuality. But is it, though? No, it's not the sign of homosexuality. It doesn't matter if they use it for the next 500 years, or 5,000, or 5 trillion years, hypothetically. That is a sign that Yahweh gave to Noah and to his descendants. That when we see that beautiful bow in the sky, we know that Yahweh will never again flood the earth in the manner that he did back in the book of Genesis. Now, heathen people have taken that and they've distorted it and you see it as a bumper sticker on the back of a car and immediately you think homosexual and then the Christian community says, well, we don't want to put any rainbows on the back of our cars. You know, no, what we need to do is we need to take back what's ours. Take back what Yahweh gave to us. That's not a homosexual sign. That's a sign of Yahweh. See? So is the same with the constellations in the sky. I know that people have used them for evil I know that people have used them as a means in fortune-telling and horoscopes and good luck and all this kind of garbage that Yahweh says don't do and don't follow. But when we use them for their pure and proper purpose, they're good. They're righteous. And they show us actually the gospel message, believe it or not. I'm reading this book right now by E.W. Bullinger, who was a member of the Church of England back in the 1800s. And he wrote the notes in the Companion Bible and he wrote a book called The Witness of the Stars and he goes detail by detail and I could never do as well of a job as him. But he goes detail by detail through all of the constellations and actually shows you how that the same message that we have in the Bible is actually in the heavens in the constellation. Even down to the virgin birth. You've heard of the constellation Virgo. That stands for a virgin woman in the heavens. Even the virgin birth was depicted by Yahweh when He set the stars in the heavens. It's amazing. It's, and I couldn't do it justice, so you can get the book and, and read it. Point number two. Even the zodiac is mentioned in Scripture in Job 38.32 under the Hebrew word Maseroth. Most of your scholars today will tell you that Maseroth most likely stands for the 12 signs of the Zodiac. And remember, the word Zodiac is not a bad word. It's not a curse word. It just means path or way. It refers to the path of the sun on what's called the ecliptic. I'll get more into that on the new moon. And number three, Zodiac is defined as meaning circle or way or path. I guess I got ahead of myself. It refers to the path of the sun amongst the stars in the course of the year. It's phenomenal. We'll talk about that illustrated on the screen on the new moon day. In his book, The Witness of the Stars, on page 9, E.W. Bullinger states the following. He says this, If we turn to history and tradition, we are at once met with the fact that the twelve signs are the same, both as to the meaning of their names and as to their order in all the ancient nations of the world. End of quote. What Mr. Bullinger is telling us is this, is that it's not only when you go to the ancient Egyptian civilization that you see these particular names for the constellations and figures for the constellations. Because when you look up in the sky at night and you see the Big Dipper and the stars around it, we, because we're so uneducated and not as smart as we think, and the ancients were a lot more intelligent than we are, for the most part, when it came to the study of the heavens, 
we can get to that place again. We think that they were somewhat archaic or primitive, but I think they were a lot more intelligent than we give them. But when you look at those stars, you don't automatically say, yeah, I see a mother bear in those stars. You don't say that, you know. Or when you look at the stars, you know, the Pleiades, you don't say, absolutely, that's a bull. You don't say that. But yet, the Egyptian civilization, the Chinese civilization, the Hebrew civilization, the Babylonians, the ancient Sumerians that invented, most likely invented writing, all of them, even though they had no communication with each other anciently, all of them called the constellations by the same or similar names and gave them the same or similar figures. What does that tell us? That tells us that they have one origin. And we're going to get to at least the opinion of one man, an ancient Judahite historian, as to what that origin is. His name is Josephus. Josephus believed that astronomy originated with the sons of Seth. Now this is just Josephus' belief. We don't know that this is absolutely right. He wasn't just telling us this is how something was done. He was giving us his belief. But Josephus says this in his book, Antiquities of the Jews, or the Judahites, 1, 2, and 3, says this, They, the sons of Seth, also were the inventors of that peculiar sort of wisdom which is concerned with the heavenly bodies and their order. Josephus believed the sons of Seth, the Sethites, were the inventors of the wisdom that's concerned with the heavenly bodies and how they have their order, the sun, moon, and the stars. Also, he writes this in Antiquities 1, 3, and 9. He says this, quote, God afforded them a longer time of life on account of their virtue and the good use they made of it in astronomical and geometrical discoveries, which would not have afforded the time of foretelling the periods of the stars unless they had lived 600 years for the great year is completed in that interval. I don't understand everything about this quote, but I do know that from this, Josephus believed that one of the reasons that Yahweh let the people that were pre-flood, as they're called in encyclopedias of the Bible, antediluvian people, they lived prior to the flood. One of the reasons Yahweh let them live so long was so that they could perfect the science of astronomy and also geometry. And once again, that's the opinion of a man, but that's a man that lived about 2,000 years ago. That may have been a very, very common understanding or belief back in his time. I think that when you compare it with the writings of Philo that we'll get to on the new moon, I think that it wasn't just Josephus that believed this, but I think that there were more people that believed this as well. So they had an origin in the sons of Seth. And one of the reasons, possibly, that Yahweh allowed them to live so long was so that they could perfect the science of astronomy and geometry. That's phenomenal to me. And so I want to close by one more verse, uh, reiterating this verse again. Yahweh says in Isaiah 40, verse 26, again, think about this. Who will you compare me to? Or who is my equal? And then what does He give us as proof? Look up and see who created these. He brings out the starry host by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of His great power and strength, not one of them is missing. He says, if you can show me somebody else that did that, then I'll believe that there's somebody equal to me. If you can show me somebody else that hung all the stars up, knows the number of them, and knows their names, then you can compare me to them. But his point is this. It's rhetorical. He's saying, you're not going to find somebody like that. 
I'm awesome. He's lifting himself up a little bit. And it's okay for Yahweh to do that. He tells us not to do it, but he can do it because he's the creator. See? It's beautiful. We'll get more into this on the new moon. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. If anybody has any questions, uh, you can just see me afterwards. I don't promise you to have all the answers, but Brother Arnold says I know the one that has all the answers. So we'll, uh, we'll work it all out together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this blessed day. Thank you for this time of study that we've had and learning. Oh, I pray that your word would sink deep into the minds of the people. I pray that you'd bring us back here on the new moon as we look more into this subject and as I kind of tie it all together and talk about some very, very important links in the Bible that I think is, is very astonishing. So we just glorify you and we praise you. We're nothing. You're everything, Father. We wouldn't have any of this knowledge if it wasn't for your grace. You're the one that even gives me the desire to even study about these things. And so, Father, I'm just so thankful that you love me. I'm so thankful that you sent your Son to live perfectly for me and die sacrificially as my substitute. And I'm so thankful that I, through faith in Him, can have access into your kingdom. So, we just glorify you and we thank you. And it's through Him, your Son, that we pray this prayer to you, Holy Father. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.